Hey guys, welcome to episode 68 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So we hope you guys are enjoying 2020 so far. And before we get into anything, like always, we wanted to thank those who have left us reviews and or subscribed to us. We would love it if you would leave us a review on any of the podcast listening platforms that you use. It really helps us out and it helps us get up there in the ratings so people could find our podcast. But if you've already done that, another amazing thing you could do is just tell your friends about us and get the word out there. Yeah, word of mouth, right? Yeah, that's always the best. That works the best with podcasts. Always. Okay, so now on to the show. This episode is a rough one, and it's extremely graphic. It involves the world of prostitution and the triad in Hong Kong, and a lot of details of some pretty gruesome torture. So there it is, folks. Your warning. I, I just, mean, total roller coaster ride. It is. And I just wanted to set, set the warning at first because sometimes people say that we don't put warnings out there when things get graphic. But again, yeah. it's a true crime podcast, but this one's yeah. bad. But you know what? I, I get it. You know, I mean, if I'm not ready for it, I got to you know <laughs> brace myself for impact. Yeah. When it know? hits you. Yeah. Sometimes it hits you hard. So in May of 1999, a young teenage girl walks into a police station in Hong Kong. She told officers that she was being haunted for the past several weeks. She had been constantly plagued by the ghost of a woman who had been bound by electrical wire and tortured to death. But they just dismissed her as another silly girl. But she wouldn't let them. She told the police that she knew the ghost of the woman was seeking revenge because she had participated in her murder. Now, ghosts are very relevant in Chinese society. They exist in many forms and return to Earth for many different reasons. In fact, the way a ghost looks is determined by what faults they had or sins they committed in their living life. That is, of course, if they were bad. There are also good spirits. But there were no ghosts in this case. Rather, it was just an overwhelming guilt felt by a troubled teenage girl. When the police realized this, they decided to go investigate the elaborate story the girl was telling. She escorted them to an apartment in the city's Kowloon district, the most populated in the city. When they searched the large apartment, they found that there was an oversized Hello Kitty mermaid doll that was very dirty and was causing the girl a lot of distress. When the doll was picked up by the officer, something hard was felt inside. When he reached in, he found a decapitated skull. It seemed as if he found what was haunting the young girl. Those officers didn't know it then, but they had just discovered the crime scene of what would become known as the most depraved crime Hong Kong has ever seen. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Fan Men Yi's life had always been tragic. She was abandoned by her family when she was really young forcing her to be raised in a girl's home. This led her down a very dangerous path as a child. When she was a teenager, she began using drugs. To pay for her habit, she turned to prostitution. 
And as she reached her early 20s, she found some stability. She was falling in and out of her drug habit, but she had just at 23 years old obtained a job as a hostess at a nightclub. Now, a lot of the nightclubs in Hong Kong could also like moonlight as like prostitution brothels. But just because you're a hostess, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a prostitute. So what a hostess does is they don't just seat people, obviously, when they're going to eat. Right. I mean, I don't think it's Outback Steakhouse, but I get it. (laughs) No. So they would accompany a man and basically they would be paid as an escort that is accompanying somebody for the night. But it does happen where there becomes an agreement between the man and the woman that they could have sex. But it's up right. to the woman to, like, make that decision. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Because I I feel like people like that, they also, they do it for, maybe they're lonely and they're looking for that, compa- like, that yeah. accompanied compassion or whatever you want to call it. But, yeah, I see. Yeah, no, she wasn't a prostitute. So I just wanted to clarify that but she really did have a bad drug habit so that led her in bad circles right and probably would make her you know if the money was right do that you know go the extra step most likely yeah and it's so interesting to see in other cultures that there's that typical pattern of when somebody is abandoned by their family and they are entered into like group living situations for adolescents that Sometimes they fall down those bad paths of drugs and a kind of seedy underbelly of whichever society or city that they're living in. So it's sad to see that those cycles. Yeah, those cycles are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It was there that she met Chan Manlock, a 34-year-old socialite in early 1997. But this was not a great meeting. Man Yi and Manlock were at opposite ends of the worlds that they were in. She was still working hard as a hostess and was casually into drugs. And Manlock was a pimp and a drug dealer in the triad. She fell into his world and would eventually begin working for him as a hostess, but not necessarily a prostitute. And she bought her drugs always from him. The two began having nights filled with methamphetamines and sex. So they began a relationship but just a sexual one. And it mostly involved nights that were fueled by ice that they would take. Now, Man Yi didn't know this, but that's how Man Lok chose to groom his hostesses and many of the other girls he met, which were usually underage. He would get them highly addicted to the drugs that he was dealing, and then he would use them to work for him in the many nightclubs that he was associated with. Right. I feel like that's the MO of most, uh, I guess the lack of a better term pimps you know like it's just like that's just what they do i mean that's everywhere not just hong kong you know it's like it seems like that's just what everyone does in that life right they use these grooming techniques and they make these girls or boys become dependent on them and then that's how they kind of hook them in right because these people know there's no they don't have anywhere else to go or anyone else that could help them out with anything so it's kind of like you're just stuck there yeah it's true predators seem to be able to hone in on people that are desperate and in need of love, attention. Exactly. Things like that. So in Hong Kong, prostitution is legal, although it's officially said to be strictly regulated. However, what Manlock was doing was illegal. Organized prostitution had been banned in Hong Kong since the 1930s, and that was exactly what he was doing. 
Manlock was known as a particularly brutal pimp, and he was notorious throughout the red light district. He had control of many street prostitutes who would hang around in lobbies of hotels and sometimes would work with the assistance of a concierge. So like a man would come into the hotel and say he was looking for like companionship and the concierge would hook him up with one of the girls in the lobby. And those types of prostitutes are called street prostitutes in Hong Kong. But he also worked with uh, one-woman brothels. In Hong Kong, it's illegal for more than one prostitute to work at a single location. So many women take customers in, like, separate apartments that they lease besides the ones that they live in. Manlock had many of these women under his control, and he demanded a percentage of their profits. In return, sometimes he would offer to pay half of the rent of the subleased apartment, or um, he would offer them protection from some male customers that would inevitably get too rough or threaten them. However, protection was rare, as most of the aggressive customers that these women had were men that were associates of Manlock himself. Right. (laughs) So essentially, you're not providing any protection at all, period. Right, and now you're sucked into this deal that you can't get yourself out of. Because if a majority of your clients are people that you're friends with or associates, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you know, protect the girls over the people that you you associate with. Right, you're gonna let them do whatever they want. Exactly. As long as they're not hurting the women, where it's going to like affect your business. True. That was really the only time he would get involved. But the pimp's biggest income came from his nightclub workers. These are places of business like bars, karaoke lounges, and more recently, internet cafes, where customers are greeted by a hostess. The men had to pay a fee for the girls' time and buy expensive drinks for them both. So this is basically what Men Yi was doing, because at first the men are just paying to like spend time with the women. But a man and a woman could negotiate the price of other activities And once this is agreed upon, they go into the private rooms that are set up in the back of these establishments. And this is where Manlock made most of his money. And although the laws in Hong Kong were very specific about girls under 16 being prohibited from participating in what the laws say is vaginal sex and girls below 21 from participating in anal sex and boys below 21 from participating in any type of gross indecency, as it's stated under their laws, he didn't seem to care about those things. And actually, most of the girls and boys that work for him are under the legal age. It's easier to mold them. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, let's just point out the first thing, which I think is is mind-blowing, is the fact that it's it's legal. It, Prostitution is legal. It has all these little laws. But if you really think about those laws, they kind of like... They like make my stomach hurt because yeah. you have, you know, oh yeah, you can do this, you know, as long as you're 16 and and, and up, or you know, like they're putting these like labels to certain things d- during to intercourse. It's disgusting. Like I, it's actually weird as hell. I know this is kind of a stomach churning yeah. episode here, but I also want to mention that they're only limiting things like vaginal sex or like anal sex, but they're not talking about any other types of sex acts. Meaning that it is legal for a girl under 16 to participate in sex acts with a man of any age or a woman of any age. Right. Which is horrible. 
Yeah, that's that's what I'm. That was what I was kind of alluding to. Is just like it's weird. That doesn't really cover the entire spectrum of things that can be done. Happen to somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, the children of Hong Kong definitely are not protected when it comes to the sex laws. So months after operating within this dangerous circle, Man Yi fell harder into her addiction and was desperate for money. On one fateful day in late 1997, after one of their drug-fueled nights, she decided that she was going to steal Man Lok's wallet. Inside, she knew there was what is the equivalent to $4,000 today. Once he had realized what had happened, he sent men that worked for him out to retrieve Man Yi. However, they were unable to find her. In hiding, time went on for Man Yi. She wanted to completely get out of the old scene that she was in. She had met a man who claimed to love her, and the couple soon became pregnant. Man Yi chose from that point on to be sober. But unfortunately, this was not the happy ending that she thought it was going to be. While Man Yi tried to clean up her life, her husband, who she had met as a customer while she was working at the Empress Karaoke Nightclub, had been a drug addict himself. And he continued to be one throughout her pregnancy and even after the birth of their son. Neighbors of the couple reported that they were kept awake often by the sounds of domestic violence from the couple. That's so sad. That is sad. Because you get you get away from one really bad situation. And you think things are going to be great. And then you go into another one and it's really sort of the same. Like you're a prisoner within that the confines of your home at this point now. Yes. Because now your husband is a drug addict or ha- you know always has been really you're trying to stay clean you have a child in the mix now that's really really dangerous and also domestic violence it's just this is like a cocktail for disaster yeah it's a cycle of violence that's just being perpetuated by the fact that from a really young age Manny had always been, in a way been a victim a victim of abandonment from her family a failure of a system and then drugs and then later, like, her relationship with Man Lock and that dangerous kind of triad circle. And then she thought this was going to be a way out of it. But instead, you know, it's just, again, perpetuating it more. Yeah, more of the same. And then now her son is subjected to this, which is sad. Yes. The whole time, the 23-year-old had no clue that Man Lock still wanted her to pay back the money that she had stolen in 1997. So when the paths of... Men Yi and her former boss passed again in 1999. Men Yi told the dangerous man from her past that she would repay the $4,000. But he wanted interest on top of the $4,000 that she stole. So she did give him back the $4,000 and she paid $10,000 of interest. That's a lot of money. It's a lot. But this did not satisfy Manlock. He wanted... $26,000 of interest, not ten. So he was demanding $16,000 from her. But Manny and her husband didn't have that. They had already given the man their entire life savings. That's crazy. Yeah, so now she's finding herself back in trouble again with the crew that she felt like she had actually escaped from. Yeah. And you know what's uh, interesting? You know, As we're going through the story, you have to say to yourself, this has all happened to this woman by the age of, you know, all of this, by the age of 23. Yeah. Like, that's insane that she's only 23 at this point, and this is everything that's happened to her. I know. Um, like yeah. like I said in the beginning, it's a very tragic life that yeah. 
Unfortunately, she led. So because this debt was not paid to the liking of Manlock, he chose to create a plan of payback. He wanted her to work for him, this time as a prostitute, until she paid off what she had stolen from him. So they chose to kidnap her. So they just take her. Yeah, and it's so like, crazy because she's already paid back $14,000. Yeah, but you're trying to look at it from a logical point. I know. He's looking at it from not only did I get, my, get more than what she stole from me, but now I'm going to pretty much put her in like 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 sex slave. Like she's a sex slave yeah. pretty much. If you're going to kidnap her, you know, even after you already got your money back, that's what the goal is. This is his goal. That's... The seedy underbelly of this type of world, that's what it is. It's just to rope you back in. Yeah, and I feel like it might have been a type of embarrassment that he felt. And now he needs to prove a point. Exactly. That you can't steal from him. Make an example. I just find the timing interesting because it is two years after the event. Yeah, but in a way, that's that even scares the person even more. Think about it. Oh, I haven't heard from this person for two years. Like, I think I'm safe. I think I'm good. And then that's when your time is to kind of strike and come back. You you literally put that person in a state of panic when they were totally fine before. Yeah, that's really scary. It is scary. I think it's even worse. Yeah, when it's, it's like when slow you're not, torture. Yeah, exactly. When, when it takes years to come back and bite you, it's it's worse. So That is true. So after Yi had been kidnapped by Manlock and his associates, uh, Li Young, Xing Chao, Li Young, Wei Lan, ages 27 and 21 respectively. She was taken to number 31 Granville Road, which is known as a really popular shopping district within Hong Kong. She was brought up to a large seven-room apartment that the men chose to fill with Hello Kitty products. So there were sheets, curtains, kitchenware, and large stuffed animals all dedicated to the Japanese cartoon character. Now, remember, this is also, like, the 1999, so this was the one that, like, big surge of Hello Kitty happened. Hey, listen, don't kid yourself. I think Hello Kitty's still popular. No, I think it is really popular, <laughs> but this is when it, like, really came out. You know what I mean? I think it's kind of weird, though, that they're putting, like, Hello Kitty things in the apartment. Well, okay, now, guys, I'm sorry to destroy any childhoods here, because most likely it's going to happen right now. But besides being a really popular and adorable cat, Loved by children around the world, including myself. Hello Kitty is also celebrated by dominant men. Why, you ask? Well, an adorable cat, small, without a mouth to talk back. I don't think I need to say anything else. Like, I think you can just, like, understand where I'm going with this. That's so crazy. Oh, okay. You're right. We don't need to say anymore. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's that's cool. I mean, kind of ruining Hello Kitty for everybody. Good I job. know. I do really apologize. And I had so much Hello Kitty stuff when I was because when I was ten because this is when it first came out. Right. Like I had the coolest thing ever was like this like lip gloss set. But like in retrospect, that's kind of weird because like a cat with first of all a cat and then especially a cat with no mouth definitely doesn't need lip gloss. That's true. You know what I remember really quickly? I remember being like, I don't know, maybe fifth or sixth grade. And I remember I would always forget like my, my pencil or my pen and I would always get in trouble. And I had a classmate who had, um, I'm sure you remember these, the Hello Kitty pencil. But instead of it being like a lead pencil or a regular pencil, it had the little inserts. It had like eight pieces that you had yes, to like. Yes, I remember those. You know, so if yeah. the, the point broke, you just pulled the other one out from the front, put it back to the back, yeah, and it had a like new really point. that's like really a waste, but yeah. But I'm I just forgot saying, about like, that. And I remember being like, 
okay, I don't even care if it's Hello Kitty because the, the functionality of this pencil is so cool. I'm glad you were comfortable <laughs> with your sexuality. Hey, listen, Hello Kitty, whatever. I had something to write with, so I didn't care. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're 12, you really don't ask too many questions. No, I mean, so. it is what it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm able to write in class. That's I, I had the Hello Kitty pencils with the eraser that was like Hello Kitty's head, but like never erased anything. Just like ripped my paper when I tried to erase things. <laughs> so. That's what I guess I we had like different experiences with yeah. a Hello Kitty product. <laughs> I guess we did. Okay. So as soon as Manyi was brought into the apartment, they injected her immediately with methamphetamines. And they took some themselves. I mean, these men are heavy drug users. So the men began to beat her, stopping every once in a while and demanding that she smile while the beating takes place. They left her alone that night, beaten and tied to the pipes. She was away from her husband and child, her body and sobriety broken. So she had no clue what she would be subjected to. But she, at that point, had no clue that the worst was yet to come. She would be subjected to a month of heinous torture. Now, before we get further into things um, and what takes place in within the span of this horrific month, I want to warn you guys that it's going to get really bad. And listen, I know we all like murder, but this, it's especially depraved. And Okay, I take that back. I don't want to say like murder because I don't want to make us into future serial killers, but we're interested in the true crime genre. But this is pretty bad. But if you can get through it, you get 100 with my red teacher pen and I'll throw in a good job note with a smiley face. We're going to get through this together. Okay? But if you can't, we warned you. So the information we have about the torture of Man Yi comes from the witnesses and the perpetrators of the crime. Their accounts are the only information we have, as there was, once the men finished, no body to perform an autopsy on or obtain physical evidence from. Most of the information we have comes from a 14-year-old girl. She was the one who went to the police station about Manny's ghost haunting her. She was the girlfriend of Chan Man Lok. Yes. The 36-year-old drug-dealing pimp had a 14-year-old girlfriend. Oh, fantastic, yeah. Well, I mean, are we shocked? I mean, no, but I mean, I, I wouldn't think 14, though, still. I mean, that's... Well, he always preyed on the younger girls. You're right, actually. And you're right, like you said, they were groomed so from a young age, so all right, I get it. I mean, I don't think it's right, but I get no, it. No, now they, they're completely dependent on him, both yeah. emotionally and physically, especially when he gets them hooked on drugs. Right. So the police attempted to protect the young girl. At first, her name was kept from the media as she was a minor. However, as usually it always does, her name was leaked. So she changed her name shortly after. And we're going to use the name Jane in reference to her from now on to avoid confusion and also not divulge the name that she's chosen for herself to start a new life away from her abusers and this atrocity that she was involved in. So Jane had just turned 13 years old when she ran away from home, just before the Lunar New Year in 1998. She no longer wanted to live in the slums with her parents, who she argued with constantly, or her overbearing and aggressive older brothers. But life on the streets wasn't much better for her. She was struggling to find a job, and Jane was sleeping in the streets. Until one day, an 18-year-old boy sat next to her at a cheap restaurant. He was wearing an Armani suit 
and had gold chains and a gold watch. He was totally a member of the triad. Now, she didn't know this at the time, but everything he was wearing was fake, and he was a very low-level member of the triad. He told her that people on the streets called him gangster, and she knew that he was a member of the triad, which is the organized crime in Hong Kong. So in Hong Kong, the triad is glorified in movies, and the youth often think that the lifestyle is appealing. And this is just what Jane was thinking when she chose to begin dating gangster. So in China, the triad is localized, meaning that different regions were controlled by different organized crime groups. The triad has sometimes been affiliated with the government of Hong Kong and has worked with them to squash pro-democratic protests in the region. And a lot of times they use some pretty intense violence. There's videos out there. Um, There's one in particular that's really brutal with them using um, like steel pipes to like kind of break up a protest and it's really violent what they do. So that kind of shows us that there's a semi-alliance between the government and the triad. So at times the government has been protective and turns the other cheek when it comes to various triads breaking the law, which is why obviously these men have gotten away with so much over the years. And the lifestyle of the triad is one of glamour and violence. And that's extremely appealing to the younger people of Hong Kong. I mean, we see it here sometimes in America, too, where like that whole like mafia lifestyle is kind of glorified to us. And it kind of happens in an extreme version in Hong Kong with the triad. Like most of their action movies is like glorified triad movies. Well, I think it makes it more... I don't know what the word is, but I, I feel like, I mean, when you have the government working with uh, a a gang, pretty much, yeah. like, like a mafia type situation, I mean, that's unheard of, really. You would never hear about that here in, in the United States where they're polar opposites and they, they, you know, the ones, you know, our government guns for them all the time. Right. There is no protection for, uh, for them over here. So to hear that they actually kind of side with them and turn the other cheek, it's weird. Well, that also tells you about the population of like everyday citizens in Hong Kong and how, you know, they must have a fear of the government and also the triad because they feel like they might have to do what the triad says or participate in what they want them to do because there is no one they can go to to seek protection from them. Right. That's true. So Jane easily fell under the spell of this new man. The young girl stopped going to school and started spending more time in the karaoke bars, the ones controlled by Chan Manlock. One day, Gangster introduced his girlfriend to Manlock, his boss. He took an immediate liking to the beautiful young girl, and he told Gangster that Jane was now his. Manlock invited Jane to come and live with him in his apartment, the same apartment where Fan Man Yi had been held captive. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But now, from a perspective of a young teenage girl, and from his perspective, he's going to bring this girl into his apartment, show her what he's doing to this woman so it serves as, like, an example. This will be you if you don't listen to me. Yeah. it's. I believe, so far, everything with him, with Manlock, it serves a double purpose. Yes. You know? It does. But we're also giving him a lot of credit because, I mean, it's something that's hard to, like, bring into the story. 
But this guy, even though he's 36 years old, is extremely immature and he's a hardcore drug addict. Like most of the time he's always high. So he's in like a super criminal mastermind, but he's super vindictive. Right. And I'm sure all the drugs kind of uh, limit his ability to like make the right decision sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it adds to the violence. Yeah. So Jane said when she was brought to Manlock's apartment on Granville Road, the apartment was a display of Manlock's wealth as well as his immaturity. It was filled with expensive TVs, video games, and PlayStations. He had Hollywood movies and porn movies covering an entire wall. Loads of drugs were all over. And of course, Hello Kitty. The drug of choice that Manlock used and sold was ice or methamphetamines. When Jane got to the apartment, she was shocked to see a beaten woman chained to the walls. She was unable to speak. The girl was terrified, and she asked Manlock if he and the other two men that lived in the apartment were going to do that to him as well. He told her that that wasn't his plan. And then he explained the story from his perspective. He told her that she stole from him and that she couldn't pay him back. So... They were planning on just using her as a prostitute in the club. But the first night that she was brought to the apartment, she was beaten so badly that they knew that no one would ever pay to have sex with her because she was completely disfigured. So they decided to keep her in the apartment as a punching bag for the men. They would beat her all of the time and they would laugh as they tortured her. And they often wanted Jane herself to hit and kick the woman, which she did. She said that they would burn straws and place them on the soles of Manny's feet. And when that wasn't enough, they would burn her feet directly under the flame. And then they would beat them with sticks. They would spill boiling oil over her feet, concentrating on where her original burns were. Until they boiled and pus spilled out. They would beat her with sticks until they heard her ribs break. They urinated on her face and forced her to drink it. The men asked the 14-year-old girlfriend to defecate in a shoebox, and then they forced Manyi to eat it. Jane said that the whole time Manyi had to smile and laugh, pretending that she liked whatever was happening to her, or else she would be beaten even worse. Eventually, they tied her up using electrical cord from the ceiling so that her feet were barely touching the ground. They beat her with an iron pole, and they broke her fingers. When the men would get bored... They would take a break and play video games while her body hung next to them. The men tore and electrocuted her genitals and bit at her breasts. And that's just what we know about because that's what Jane witnessed. But I'm sure that these men committed even worse when the girl wasn't there. I mean, there was no way to have an autopsy on her body because when these men were done, there was nothing left of it. But... I think it's naive to think that at the same time that she wasn't being sexually abused because I'm sure she was too. Oh yeah, absolutely. So after four weeks of torture, one of Manlock's associates entered the apartment and found Man Yi had passed away in the night. So she endured four weeks of that torture. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. The three men drug her body into a bathtub and they dismembered it with a saw. Manlock himself using just an average saw to to saw her head off. 
and they wrapped the remains in newspaper and stored them in the freezer. The men then cooked the remains of Man Yi. They boiled her human flesh next to the meals that they were cooking for themselves. There were rumors that the boiled human flesh was put into soups that were given to the homeless. However, I couldn't find anything to substantiate that, so I don't think it's true. All evidence rather points to the fact that they cooked the meat and then threw it away with the trash. The men later said that the only reason they boiled the flesh was to stop the smell of rot from like permeating into other apartments. However, some of her organs were kept in the freezer and also some of her teeth were kept. Um, they actually, the first thing that they did was they, in a very large pot, they put her head into the pot and boiled it until her, like the flesh fell from her face. It's so disturbing. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, I, this is probably the worst one I think I've ever heard. I mean, yeah. I think I've said that before in another podcast, but we always seem to, um, and definitely not by design, we just upped the ante on yeah. this one. I mean, this well, is crazy. Yeah, I had to walk away a few times when I was doing this. It was at this point, one month after the young mother died, that Jane went to the police station to talk to police. She was having vivid nightmares about the torture and believed that she was being haunted by the spirit of the woman who she watched be tortured and then dismembered. Before the police agreed to go to the apartment with her, they pressed her about what was causing these nightmares because it sounded like the girl was talking in, in only hypotheticals and they were trying to get to what exactly the story was. Jane told them the story of the stolen wallet the kidnapping, the torture, the death, and the disposing of the body. And she even gave them details on the few occasions that she was asked to participate in the torture and that she always did what she was told to do. The police did not believe her. I mean, the story is outrageous and it's unbelievable. But eventually, on the teenager's insistence, the police officers decided to go into the apartment. And once they got there, they found that the place was vacant. Manlock and his two associates had moved out weeks prior. The place was absolutely filthy, and there were still Hello Kitty memorabilia left in the apartment, including a large Hello Kitty doll that was dressed as a mermaid. Inside the stuffed animal, Manny's skull was found. I mean, that's so brutal. The fact yeah. that an autopsy can't be done because there's just no body, no body. period. I mean, except yeah. the skull. It's really I sad. mean, that's crazy. And I just think, though, at the same time, it just shows that these men were so ridiculous. And they had to have been so high that they're leaving evidence in the apartment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, why would they leave that? You know, it's kind of funny because, like, the whole, um, like, drug, like, drug-fueled like dismemberment kind of reminds me of like when we did episode 17 on the club kids it's kind of it pr kind of brings me back to that i mean totally different as far as like the reason for doing the killing but kind of similar as far as the drugs and the whole dismemberment thing like it brought me flashbacks right away to that yeah no i agree with that where it's the kind of like your mind's not there because you're on these drugs but the only difference here is like months and months of torture and this was like super premeditated this is just, I mean, one of the saddest cases that we've ever seen that what this woman had to endure was crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah. All three men were quickly arrested and the young girl was given immunity in exchange for her testimony 
against those who were involved in most of the torture and murder. Now, I feel like the reason why the government and police were behind arresting Manlock and his associates is that these guys, for, you know, like, everything they talked, they were not high-ranking members of the triad. Like, they were just nothing but a blip on the radar. So taking them down was pretty easy to do, and nobody thought twice about it. Right. And you can obviously see why they're not high-ranking members of anything, because they were very depraved, and they seemed to be fueled just by their um, immaturity and drug use. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, of course, the three men did what those accused always do. They tried to minimize their own involvement, that it was the other men who were responsible, and they were trying to diminish their own role in the torture and what they were doing. Like, all men said they were forced to do what they had done. But in the end, they were all charged with murder, false imprisonment, and the prevention of receiving a lawful burial, which is illegal in Hong Kong. The defense was trying to make the argument that Man Yi died of a drug overdose and not from the beatings and torture that she was subjected to. They claimed that she had fallen back into her old drug habits and that she was really just hanging out with the men and that she died of a drug overdose. The men panicked. They didn't know what to do. So they dismembered the body and that Jane was making up this whole story because she just felt guilty that she had to participate in the dismemberment of the body. So they're kind of saying none of this torture took place and you can't prove it. And in reality, it's true. It can't be proven. Yeah. I mean, I I see what you're saying. So what the prosecution does is they put Manny's husband on the stand. And he stated that since she found out she was pregnant, the 23 year old immediately stopped taking drugs. And she was 21 at the time she got pregnant. And that she never did them again. So he doubted very much that she would just abandon her son, especially with the fact that he was abusive, her husband. I don't think she would have left her two-year-old alone with him. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of what he was saying, too. But I do have a few questions for Manny's husband, because this woman was missing for... Your wife was missing for four weeks. You know, I think that... We kind of know what their relationship was like as yeah. far as the domestic violence, right? You have that. You have to consider the fact that he was a drug addict. And you also have to consider the fact that maybe he was too scared to go to the police because of their possible protection of, a tri- of the triad or, or the triad on their own. So maybe he just didn't even want to like do anything because he was scared like, about for his own life. Or maybe that's where he got his drugs from and didn't want to burn any bridges. Who knows? There's like so many different things as to why he wouldn't confront the people that took her, you know? Yeah, that all makes sense. It could have been any of those things. But I just thought it was like interesting that he was gone and then all of a sudden reappears to testify at this trial. Yeah. But you're right. All yeah. of those things are really good explanations as to what could have happened to him. However, because medical authorities were unable to determine how she died and because there was no body to examine, the jury stated that the men couldn't be convicted of murder, right? We have no cause of death. I know. But, you know, that seems a little crazy to me because you have an eyewitness testimony. I I know it's an eyewitness testimony. I know. But you still have this girl who witnessed all of these things happen. 
you know? And the fact that her head's chopped off found on a Hello Kitty doll, I mean, come on. Yeah, I would say that points to brutality. Okay, like, even even if they can't call, find a cause of death, how about the fact that her head's just off of her body? Like, yeah. common sense is not being applied here, so, I mean, come on. And if anything, they should be charged with, uh, I don't know, let's say kidnapping? I mean, they know that she was taken. Right. Well, instead, they found them guilty of manslaughter. Okay. So they did, I mean, they just had to apply the law, as stated. Right, right. So all three men received a life sentence in December of 2000. They will be eligible for parole this year. Wow. 2020. I doubt they'll get it. I don't know. You never know. You're right, actually. (laughs) Well, the murder became international news. And no one wanted to move into that apartment. And soon all that lived in the building moved out because they didn't want to be associated with it. Um, The Chinese believe a lot in spirits. And when a death like that occurs, you kind of don't want to be around like the remnants of it. And in Hong Kong, many mediums go to visit the building and a lot of them hold seances. And actually in like some newspapers, there's interviews with Man Ying through mediums. So it becomes this sensational murder. I mean, think about it. It's just something that is so heinous. Yeah, I mean, you think it's it's kind of I I believe I've said this before, but I feel like this kind of warrants it even more, you know, than than the last time. But I just feel like when you have everyone has a, a, a you know a line in the sand that they kind of you know you know what's your limit? What are you what are you willing to do? What are you what aren't you willing to do? Right. This kind of breaks those barriers, and I think that the reason why there's no limit to, like, how abusive and how, you know, effed up that they could be, I really think it comes down to the drugs again, because oh, yeah, you're not in the right state of mind when you're on drugs, and kind of compile that with just being a really crappy person and being yeah. really bad. And especially methamphetamines. I mean, yeah. you know, Fuels it, the violence. Yeah. Because there's no, there's no limit to what they're doing. I mean, and like you said, that's just what the 14-year-old girl witnessed. We have no idea what they did. What they did when she wasn't there. Exactly. So that breaks my heart to even think about that. Now, of course, this case became so big because of like you have this like juxtaposition of like Hello Kitty and then this brutal murder, and that's what it became known as the Hello Kitty murder. Which, of course, is going to grab everyone's attention because of how outrageous it is, because it's the last thing you would think of. So it is, it's super sad. And, you know, your heart goes out to the Man Yi and her son, who's going to grow up without his mother, who really dedicated herself to him and got clean and wanted to kind of end that bad cycle. But now, of course, again, it's just continued. And in 2012, because. Nobody wanted anything to do with the apartment complex anymore. It was demolished. So that building doesn't even stand anymore. Isn't that crazy that... I want to be careful with, with how I say this, but like in their culture, that, that is such like like a real thing to them that no one will go there, so they just knock it down. Yeah, yeah. a contractor is going to um, buy the property and just demolish it because it's going to be really hard to market anyone coming in with like such a brutal crime that takes I place. Mean, I, I'll, I'll be the first one to say I definitely wouldn't go there if it was even yeah. brand new. Well, the same thing happens to a lot of places where like outrageous crimes have taken place. Like even 
they've completely remodeled the Amityville Horror House. Right? So now yeah. it looks nothing like the house that it used to because no one was going to buy it. No. no, Nobody. So sometimes you got to do that because nobody wants to live somewhere where someone got murdered. Especially like that. No. That's horrible. All right, guys. That's it for the Hello Kitty murders. That was a rough one. We all got through it. Yep. With our Hello Kitty erasers and our pencils. Yeah, I had to really have a few drinks while writing that script. So I'm glad that I got through it. So just um, a message for our Patreon supporters. We have both January episodes coming out next weekend. So we're really excited to bring those to you. And we just want to, again, thank you for all of your support. Yes, thank you. So if you would like extra content from True Crime Couple, you could become a Patreon at patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. And if that's too much for you guys to do, we totally understand. But don't forget to tell a friend about us or leave us a five-star review because it really, really helps us. It does. And, you know, just spread the word. I mean, that's really the best thing that you could ever do for us. And um, whatever you choose to do, we appreciate it. So thank you. Yes. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.